with Authors fans, we have some pretty big news from your host here, Erica Lance. We are moving to change the format of the show to be one episode. So there's a few episodes that record the old way that we're doing the new way. And that's what you're listening to. So thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And we love having you as fans. On to the show. This podcast could potentially have adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly the possibility of sexual content. <clears throat> Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the fantastic Danielle Orsino. And our guest today is October Santorelli. Woo! Woo! Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So in old school, drinking with author swag, you can tell I've used this a lot. By the way, October, you get swag for being on the show. So yeah, um, we're all about- We're fancy. Yes, we're super fancy in our, they're really durable plastic cups. I'm, I'm just gonna say. Um, what am I drinking? Oh, I'm drinking. What are you drinking? I, I know, I'm drinking vodka and grapefruit juice. And to be super bougie, I have a beach plum lacroix as well. Wow. Yeah, no, super. So I thought I had different juice because I was going to make a screwdriver and it's grapefruit juice and not orange juice. And I was like, fuck it, it's going in the cup. I don't give a shit. Here we go. So Danielle, nice. what are you drinking? I'm not that fancy. I'm drinking just uh, a chai latte out of my Lady Penelope cup because Penelope was in here a little a little bit ago squeaking her ball and I had to kick her out. So I thought I would drink it out of Lady Penelope's cup. Ooh, Lady Penelope, she's adorable. Yes. Fantastic. October, what are you drinking? I made a lemon berry mule Ooh. Uh, so with vodka and muddled blueberries. And then instead of ginger ale, I put in a sun-kissed berry lemonade soda. So it's like blue. <laughs> it's very blue and super fancy. It wow. It's really, it's really easy. It's, you're even drinking it out of a copper cup, which if you see the YouTube, you can see that. But wow. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. impressed. Call me impressed. Um, yeah, I was okay. going to say, that just topped us. Yeah, I did. It totally. I'm just going to go back mm -hmm. to my really cheesy but, drinking with author swag. Yeah, oh. my mother taught me well. <laughs> you showed so up. October, for anybody out here in the world that doesn't know what you write, what do you write? I am primarily a fantasy author, but I've published in other genres as well. I've written YA sci-fi and historic romance, and I also write comics, uh, scripts for comics. So Ooh. I kind of dabble in a lot of different areas. So when did you start writing? I started writing, oh gosh, a million years ago. Basically, as soon as I found out writing was a job you could still have, um, I started writing and that was seventh grade. So I was like 12 or 13 years old. Um, yeah, it took me a while to figure out that was a job you could still have. I don't know why, but for the longest time, I thought that all authors had already written their books and died. And, <laughs> and so yeah, all the new books were just new to me. I just found them now. And so my teacher, uh, we did this little poetry unit and then she gave me back my little poetry collection that stapled with the little crayon drawings and everything. And on the front, it was like, this could be professional. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I want to do that. And then it was over. My parents were dismayed. 
They were like, not going to be a lawyer or a doctor. Nope. I'm going to be a writer. I absolutely want to just have a little collection of stories called I told my parents I was going to be a writer and like yep. just the, the 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 reactions to that mm-hmm. particular communication going out into the universe because some parents are like that's really cool but the majority of them are like that's not a real job that you're not yep. going to make money what are you going to mm-hmm. fall back on go do something else so I think we should just have a collection called what happened when I told my parents I wanted to That's be the writer. next anthology, Erica. Write that down. I I, I should I'm gonna write it down now. What happened when it so if I don't, this vodka is gonna kick in and I'm not gonna remember it. Paper and a pen. That's I, what we'll call the anthology. Yeah. Um but, okay. I can actually write all the words too. That's terrible. If somebody saw what I was writing right now, they're just sounds. Okay. Um so let's talk about the first time being published and stuff like that. So what was the first thing you got published? The first thing I ever got published was the, uh, actually it's a little short story that I wrote in high school. I titled it The Path and I entered it into a competition um, for a magazine and I won third place in the short story competition. Um, I have no idea what the magazine's name is anymore. And I have no idea where that story is at, but it does exist somewhere. And the first thing I published post high school was Mi Yokupo, which is a historic romance story featuring Leonardo da Vinci and his boyfriend Yokupo. And that one's published in the Hold Your Fire anthology from Ward Fire Press. And it's a charity anthology where proceeds go to scholarships towards a writing conference. Very cool. Very nice. That's yes. cool. That is awesome. I love Leonardo da Vinci and his boyfriend. That is awesome. Okay. So let's let's take a journey to your first fiction novel. Yeah. Big one. Size matters. Um, so what's happening with that? So my book, uh, City of Day, it's the first book in the Nightfall trilogy. And that book is coming out. February 23rd. So by the time this airs, it will already be out. And I, gosh, the journey for this book has been so long. I think the first iteration of it occurred in 2018. Um, Wow. Oh, it has been a while. Yeah. Yeah. But then I wrote the whole book from the perspective of the wrong character. Like I wrote the whole book. I finished the manuscript and I was like, the side character's cooler and more important, I should, mm. and so I had to go back and completely rewrite the book. Well, how did you come to that conclusion that the side, like, what made you go, oh, no, I gotta go back? Uh, he was just more interesting, and his arc was more interesting than the main character. Um, okay. She's still in the book, Mila is still in the book, and she's the secondary POV, but okay. the bulk of the story, the important parts of the story needed Thislin's point of view, and I didn't have his point of view in that book at all. He was the one who should start the story. Like he's the one who has more experience with the, the world that I built. Um, in chapter one, there are murder ghosts, they kill people. And he's the one who sees the ghosts and Mila doesn't see the ghosts for like half the book or more. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I. I wrote it from the wrong character's perspective. I just got to go back a little bit further. Um, so that was an adventure and it all started with Sinbad. So, you know. 
I'm like, okay, so what made you, first of all, you said the, a word, which is trilogie. Yes. That's my French interpretation of that word. <laughs> um, I'm not French, and that was a horrible depiction of a French interpretation. I'm well aware it of that. It wasn't bad. It was bad. I'll let it go. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Danielle. But there are French people out there that will be like, stop doing that, which is fine. It's also when I do my English accent, the same thing occurs. So it's cool. Um, unless I'm at a rent fair and then I can totally. <laughs> yes. So what made you decide this is only going to be three books? Um, when I first wrote the outlines for them, I took the overall story that I wanted to tell and I broke it down into three acts and each book is an act so there is one okay. whole plot for this uh, I don't foresee it breaking out into another novel I could be surprised but I'm not planning on it <laughs> until your fans say something so famous last words my friend famous last words I do plan to come back to this universe again, like this setting and the kingdom that it's set in, um, either prequels or afterwards. Novellas, something. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'll be surprised as, as these books go out. And I think um, Danielle can attest to this, who people end up enjoying and what you think will happen and fan demand for the continuation not that you have to write to fans like there are some people that write to um fans or write to sales well the people that write to sales i think are a little bit terrible because sometimes it's just throwing words on a piece of paper and you can tell they're not as invested in the book as they used to be in previous books i think we've right. all experienced that with certain series right mm -hmm. yep and then you have the people that um, uh, write, you know, do pay attention to what their fans want and figure out ways to continue storylines or continue universes or whatever, because the fans do fall in love with characters and people and, you know, when it ends, especially in three books, which sounds like a lot, but it's not a lot, then they're like, but, but what happened, you know, and then they want more, regardless of how you guys think you ended the book. I say that from a fantasy thing, but yeah, I'm writing book two right now. I'm almost finished with book two. And I just now in this moment realized that I'm over halfway through this story. And that's, oh, that's a lot of realization right there. I'm like, oh no, I love my characters and I'm going to miss them in one more book. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Then you probably still have three. it in you. My friend will have that conversation going, so how many books are in this series again? <laughs> and you're going to be like, seven! Yeah seven books no. so many if you still love them then you still have more in you it's when you get to that book where you're like oh my god thank god it's done that you're like okay you gotta like just move on please yeah. walk away if that happens because you're not yeah. gonna generate good stories yeah. at all so the journey how are you being published for this this trilogy i'm gonna keep saying it like that yeah my trilogy coming out through Falstaff books the oh Mystic yeah publishing oh mm -hmm. Um, John picked it up at Dragon Con uh, a couple years ago now. So. Very cool. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. So traditional publisher. I know. <laughs> so what has that been like, that that journey? Because it's a little different than submitting stories to um, anthologies and short, short story contests and things like that. None, none of that's bad. I'm just saying yeah. it's very different when you're giving gigantic manuscript to publisher. Yeah. Um, it was 
kind of a little bit terrifying at the point that I sent it in for the uh, fall staff had unagented submissions. So at the point when I sent it in for that, I was querying it as well. And, you know, paying my dues and getting my rejections as I do. Um, and mm -hmm. I actually ended up hearing from John and Tor at the same time. Uh, wow. Yeah. And both of them were interested. Um, so they both put in full manuscript requests at the same time. And then it came down to the fact that I had written this as a trilogy. So the end of book one is the lead up to book two. Um, because I broke it into that three acts and Empire Tor Strikes Back ending. I understand. I think that's yeah. important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tor couldn't guarantee that the all three books would come out. And yep. I didn't want to rewrite half my book to change the ending. So I decided to go with false staff instead for now. And no, I that was a totally smart understand choice. that. Yeah. That was a very smart choice because you know there are even very well-known authors, and I, I don't say that like we're less than them, right? But there are very well-known authors that are not guaranteed. Um, Melinda Snodgrass is one of them. I think mm -hmm. it, I want to say it was Tor or Bane, I think. Don't hold me that, Tor or Bane, if that wasn't it, I've been drinking. But <laughs> they put out two of a, a trilogy of her books and they put them in the wrong categories and mismarketed them. So when she put out two and it was having such a problem, she finished three and they were like, we're not gonna put that out. This is how fans get super duper mad. I mean, sometimes it is the author not finishing writing whatever they're writing. But a lot of times it's these publishers that go, yeah, just give me one where in the past, believe it or not, Publishers were much more into series based and let's see where we'll, it, it will go. They were willing to take on the series and now two they're or not. three or four books of the series to make sure that like this would go somewhere. Now they're like one. And if it's not spectacular, we're not giving you a two. And then. Yeah, the they're doing first like, right of refusal. Yeah, that's what that's what uh, the bigger. I was accepted by one of the big three, but they're metaphysical offshoot. And that's what they did to me with my series because they said we'll take the first one with this right to with the first right of refusal to the second so they did not and they my first book they asked me to divide it in half too and they and I said well then I'll end it on a on a cliffhanger and they went yeah that's fine they said maybe we'll take the second maybe we won't and I'm like but you're asking me to divide it in half with not guaranteeing the second and they were like yep they kind of just shrugged at me and I was like oh okay and yeah, I didn't go with them because it's the same feeling. Why start a series and not know what's going to happen? So what made you decide? <clears throat> oh my gosh. What made you decide to go that route and to query and to do that whole thing? Uh, a lot of it, honestly, is being a little bit lazy. <laughs> I, I okay. want to wear one. You can say query is hard. Well, I just, I meant for like the whole of my career. Um, mm. I know how much work goes into indie books in your finding editors and your, your, your own art director. And you have to find somebody to do all the formatting if you don't want to learn how to do that yourself. And there's extra marketing steps and there's like, there's so much work that goes into that. And I just want to write. So my decision to go traditional to begin with is I just want to write the books. 
Well, you're going to have marketing regardless. You yeah. know that, right? Yeah, I'm still marketing. <laughs> yeah, okay. Marketing, well, marketing regardless. But no, I understand that. I mean, authors just want to write. It's it's funny you say that because that's the premise of my publishing company is let's get authors actually writing and not doing all the other stuff. But it's interesting that you have that that view because it's not, I don't know how to do it. It's, I just don't want to do it. So yeah. let me go that route. Did you have a time frame set up for yourself if your book didn't get opted or were you just going to keep trying? Like, did well, you have like, this was my goal. And if this doesn't happen, I'm going to do X. I, I kind of was like, well, I'll keep querying this one, but I was already writing the next book. Um, not book two in the series, but like the next book. No, separate pro project. So my my idea is to just keep the wheel spinning. Something will catch. Um, so if I yeah. put one out to query, I can keep querying that one as long as I want while I work on the next book and then start querying that book and the other book and keep the, write the next book, right? So I'm, I didn't have any set timeline. It would get picked up when it get picked up. If I got picked up by somebody because of one of the other books that I wrote afterwards, I would still have that book to be like, oh, by the way, here's another completed manuscript. Enjoy, you know. So do you have another completed manuscript? I do. <laughs> okay. I feel like you were hiding that. I feel like you were not Yeah, it was quite, like back pocket. Yeah, there was like a subtle like, wow. inference of it. And you're like, I'm not going to actually mention it all the way. Maybe they won't notice. So, <laughs> but it's here. Yeah. I so I noticed. It isn't gone anywhere yet. I haven't queried it. I'm doing my editing pass right now. Um but I am so in love with it. It's an idea that my friends gave me when we were all messing around. And those make sometimes the best stories. Um, so it's based on an old French fairy tale called Swiss. And it's about a sorceress, obviously, who lives in a house. And there's like flashing lights and everybody's all, gosh, she's probably up to no good in there and the king's like i said a bounty so go and figure out what it is and i'll give you all this gold and everybody tries to break in but her magical defenses like zap people with lightning and drop them into pit spikes and you know all these horrible things and then this one shepherd is like well i'll do it and he goes up and he knocks on the door <laughs> and she opens the door and is like hey <laughs> oh hey you What's know up? very cool yeah so I'm working on that one and a bunch of other retellings of fairy tales. Um, my difference between, you know, regular old retellings of the fairy tale and this is that every single one of my stories is LGBTQ+. So I've made changes to all of them, but kept the themes the same to make the queer elements, you know, really mesh with the story. No, that's awesome. I, I think cool. that's fabulous. So um, are you intending, so you're going to do a, an, I hate to say the word series, but a multi-book of different fairy tales. Yeah, not a not quite series. Mm -hmm. A not quite series, but you know, <laughs> I actually, yeah, collection is a good word for it. Collection, there I like that. Because I think, um, you know, having read several retellings of fairy, I think they're brilliant. And especially when you take a lot of different elements and don't tell the same exact story that the story has been. Because 
there's some great <laughs> pieces to these stories. And especially if you go true to some of the older fairy tales that were like stay in your fucking lane fairy tales. So that's what fairy tales were. They were stay in your fucking lane fairy tales. Yeah. I'm leaning into the like I said, the original themes, like Cinderella is still going, oh no, will the prince like me? And um, Beauty and the Beast, just, they're still sitting there like, oh no, you know, will we fall in love? Um, somebody needs to be stuck in a castle, you know. <laughs> Sleeping Beauty still goes to sleep. Old school. Yeah. yeah how is Sleeping Beauty the, the star of that story? I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> I'm out within minutes of the fucking thing starting. So. <laughs> Why is it centered around Aurora? I mean, don't get me wrong. Not your Aurora, Danielle, but this Aurora. No problem. Different Aurora. Different Aurora, got it. Different Aurora, but seriously, I remember watching that going, this is really a story about Maleficent and the Prince. Damn That's, straight, it's Maleficent. Yeah, seriously, that is what this story That's is about because fucking Sleeping Beauty's asleep through most of it. So Those cheekbones. Oh my god, the cheekbones. I love finding out Great. that the reason they cast her daughter in that is because every other child they put in front of her was terrified. I'm scared. And mm -hmm. then her daughter was the only one that didn't freak the fuck out. So they were like, I guess this is what we're doing. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Angelina Jolie was great in that, man. Yeah, whatever works. I, I agree. I agree. Okay, so you want to you want to be a writer. What does that mean to you? Oh gosh, it just means telling stories. Like I, any kind of story, all kinds of stories, I consume them and I want to tell them. So like video games and movies and television and stage plays and books and like any method that you can convey a tale, I want to be good at it. And that's the only thing that like mattered to me since I was 12 years old is being a really good storyteller. So I write to tell the tale the way I want to tell it, right? I want to hit mm -hmm. these emotional notes. I want to get this point across. I want to make my reader feel here and think here. And that's all that I'm thinking about when I'm working is I've got an idea and I need to give it to you as pristinely as possible. That's awesome um what how has it been have you gotten a lot of reviews or feedback from the public at large about your stories and stuff I have got short stuff. stories and anthologies it's a little different sometimes on feedback you know that I actually do have a, a novella um it's about 60,000 words that is published with David Brin um award-winning academy award-winning david Brin has been on our show with fans of david Brin, oh, vice good. versa. yeah david and i wrote a book together um so. very cool Sixty thousand is not a novella by the way for david it probably is but that's an actual book that's so a novella is like twenty-five thousand words maybe okay. 35 so well done on writing a book thank you yes um that one is out and i've gotten some feedback on that one and i got feedback that surprised me so that like most of it in what uh, way i think i'm really good at setting i've never once been complimented on my setting i am always complimented on my character writing and i always feel like i'm struggling with that so like i don't know interesting i can't interpret my own writing anymore i'm this close to giving up like <laughs> how do you deal with reviews like are you somebody that's like eh screw the reviews or do you go in and like 
read them? And are you like, let me dissect these? I've read a couple of them. Um, I don't read a lot of them, I admit. I, I like the ones that like pop up on Goodreads every now and again. But for the most part, I didn't tell it to get reviewed, right? It goes okay, back to why I, I write in the first place. I just did it to tell that story. Okay. So once the book is out, I'm like, and that's done. Next one. And I'm not so focused on the book that's currently out which is probably a bad thing, but (laughs) it's not necessarily a bad thing. Reviews are for readers. Reviews can help if you want to see how readers interpreted your work, but you have to stand 10 feet back from that interpretation of your work because it is through um, a lens of the internet versus somebody contacting you directly and saying how wonderful they think you are, what you've done to change their life or things like, or even coming up to you at a convention and telling you how great your your book is. Now, generally people do not come up to you in um, events to bitch, generally. There are the Karens and the Bryans, that's what I call them out there that will go out of their way to be buttheads. I hope that happens to me at some point. I'm super excited about that because I'm gonna fucking Wendy's Twitter their shit, but Um, generally you don't have that happen, but on the internet, you have that filter of they're doing it from a place of anonymity and things like that. But sometimes I think reviews, especially as you start getting a lot of them can be very good in how an audience is interpreting your work because that's the part that I like is seeing how they've taken the story and taking it apart. I uh in gosh what was it 10th grade um I entered a poetry contest and I won honorable mention and um my teacher my language arts teacher at the time was like perfect I'm gonna pull you for a day and she put my poem up and had each class interpret the poem and try and guess what I was writing about and then she asked me what I was writing about And so they got to see the disconnect between what an author is writing about and what the interpretation ends up being like in real time. Um, And so did I, which was so fascinating because it was a poem that I wrote about a leaf and a stick and a toy boat on a little river. And that was literally all I wrote. And they were sitting there like, it's the stages of life and grief. I'm like, it's a stick. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one of my favorite parts. And on that note, it's a stick. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with drinking with the <laughs> Hey, listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia, and we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo! Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side.
Um, so I think that's interesting because you, it's true. It's, it's the perception and how they felt about it. What you can't do is take it personally, how they felt about it. And I think that my method of like writing and telling stories where I'm, I'm just trying to convey it, you know, right. Once I've told the story, it's told and I can't go back and change it. So at that point, I am less concerned about like, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm not concerned about reader interpretation, but I'm less concerned about it. You're detached. Yeah. It's, it's less personal. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's true. You just have to kind of be prepared, you know, um, for that part of it. If you, if you decide to continue down the review track is what people thought, but at the same time, a lot of times I think people can cause you to fall back in love with your writing. That's true. And fall back in love with your stories and stuff like that because of what it means to them. Yeah. And I have the artist problem where as soon as I finished a book, I have gotten better at writing. And so now I hate the book every time it comes out, like story comes out or whatever. I'm like, Oh, that, what was I thinking? But at the time I was like really excited and proud about it. And so, you know, the artist problem, I got better and now I'm not as invested. Um, So I've had people come up to me and they're like, I really liked that. Um, I really liked this element. I really like this. And I'm like, okay, so it's not bad. And I need to stop beating up for putting that out. You do. Have you ever seen the interview Anne Rice gave before, obviously before she passed, but she was talking about um, interview with the vampire and how that was the best writing she writer she was at that time so she wouldn't want to change it because that's that's how great she was at that time and um and not like oh my gosh Anne Rice is a great writer because I went back after she passed away and re-listened to Interview with the Vampire and there's some great stuff about it there's some stuff where if you read her later stuff, you can go, she was not, she's a better writer now. Cause we all get better. Like by the end of the book, we're all better than the first chapter we wrote, but you have to keep going and know that and not get her biggest thing was don't get stuck on it. You're going to be a better writer. Like you'll never fix that problem. A while ago, I watched a YouTube video for artists, like drawing artists. Um, But the message of the video was finished is better than perfect. And uh, I needed that pep talk really badly at the time, took it to heart. And now I purposely write really bad first drafts and really short first drafts. I just have to get through the story. And then I do a big rewrite where I actually, you know, sit there and craft it the way I want it. Because now I know where the characters are going and I know what I want them to end up doing. But I, I have to write a really bad first draft first. I have to suck before I can get better. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's actually, talk, yeah, I like that. Let's talk about your writing environment. What is your optimal writing environment? Like, where do you thrive? <laughs> I thrive in a basement. Um, not joking. I have a really nice basement, but <laughs> I, I have this little basement apartment and I have this perfectly sized nook. My desk fits wall to wall um and I sit there with like a little bit of art over the top and I've got some poster pegboards over there and um I like candles I have a candle problem um (laughs) like 
I light a candle when I start to work and I turn on music, but I literally have like a dozen different candles on my desk. Oh my goodness. <laughs> One of them is lit right now. <laughs> wow. Are there particular yeah. smells that you tend to gravitate towards? Um, not really, actually. It's I've got a bunch of different scents and it's kind of a mood thing for me where I'm like, all right, which candle am I going to use today? Well, I'm writing a fight scene, so I need something spicy, you know, like it depends on what okay, I'm writing, where that. I'm at, what my mood is when I go into it. What kind of music do you put on? Because you said music. I do. I have a playlist of Narnia soundtracks and that is what I put on. And that is the only thing I put on. And that is the only time I listen to the Narnia soundtrack. Um, but it's- How did you stumble that that was a great idea? I went on YouTube and was looking up ambient music loops to just put on in the background while I was mm -hmm. working. And there was one that was ambient winter sounds and Narnia. And I found that one worked the best. And so I went on Spotify and I found the, the um, Prince Caspian soundtrack and the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe soundtrack. And I assembled my own little list of Narnia instrumental music. And it's like the way that they are not ever too fast or not ever too slow and they don't crescendo too much. And right, like there's just this weird, perfect middle line that Narnia soundtracks walk that's turns my brain on, yes. Right. No, it's whatever works. Somebody actually just turned me on to this one. It's called Cryo Chamber. And hmm. so I write horror. And so they wrote they wrote horror. And it's called Cryo Chamber. And it's like this. Um, it actually has a live loop thing that you can listen to, like live. But it is very um, kind of like this one is called Mystical Winters Far Up North dark polar ambient mix but it's very like dark and not like creepy I have a whole other playlist for creepy but it's just very like dark setting kind of music but I think finding whatever like music works for you and some authors are like it has to be dead silent I can't have it be dead silent because yeah. I hear everything else going on in my house and I'm like what was that because you yep. know, it could be haunted, or it could be dogs or cats, one of the other. It's <laughs> fine, whichever it is, as long as you don't break shit, either one. And um, but I'll I'll be like, what was that noise? What was this? And it's little noises, but I can hear them. And then I'm like, look at me getting distracted. Boop, boop, boop. I'm going upstairs to see what that noise was that I never find. I'm an ADHD <laughs> author, so I get that real hard. So am I. Yep. So what about um yeah. uh you? I obviously COVID changed, I say obviously, but COVID changed a lot of things for a lot of us. I used to love to write in cafes, bars, Same. things like that, because I loved the motion around me. I used to get my best writing done in cafe and when the plague struck, um, everything got side railed for me really hard and I had to completely relearn how to write. Um, huh. Because I was so reliant upon going to a cafe to write that when I was stuck in the silence of my own home, because um, I was high risk, I couldn't go out at all. I, I was lost. 
completely lost. So I actually started doing experiments on me and my other ADHD and uh, a couple of autistic writer friends. And I was like, okay, guys, today we're going to be trying this. And they were like, okay. And I, I sort of like product tested our productivity in various ways and did research on why I couldn't start writing and how to get over that. And gosh, it took me like six months to get back to a point where I was writing consistently. I think that's true for a lot of people. I, and I think there's some people that still haven't gotten back to their jam. Uh, John Dover, who's one, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. I love him. He's a professional trumpet player as well. So weird fun fact, but he used to write in a bar, like sit at the bar and write in a bar. And that was his thing. Like he had a bar stool at this local bar and he would go and he would sit and all time, you know, different times of day, different times of night, you know, have this whole thing. And then that was like, nope, you can't do that anymore. Cause I think he's in, I want to say Chicago or Boston. He was in a city that actually um, believed the plague existed. I say that because I was living in Florida during that time. And, you know, we're not even going to get into that little political nightmare, but he was in a place that believed the plague existed. Ergo, everything got shut down. And then when things did reopen, it wasn't, you can go inside. It was, you can, you can, you can go sit like right out there, you know, and in the corner in an igloo by yourself. Same thing as being home, except for more expensive drinks. What about, what about snacky poos? Are you a snacker when you write? I am not. Um, I, I have a water bottle by my side, but I take breaks to go get snacks, um, on purpose. Cause otherwise I just won't move all day. Cause I will write all day. And then I, you know, it's like, I've forgotten to eat. I've hyper fixated so hard that I've forgotten to eat all yep. day. It's eight o'clock at mm-hmm. night and I finally stopped writing. And not only am I like, my butt hurts from sitting all day, but now I'm starving and it all just happened at once. And like, mm-hmm. so I, I set timers and I get up every hour and a half and I'll go and grab like a little thing, like a handful of trail mix or go and grab one of my roommate's donuts. He always gets donuts. That's a good roommate. It's yeah. a good roommate. Always. Are they good donuts or are they like Dunkin' Donuts donuts? There's this place called Lamar's here in Colorado. That is so good. And he gets the Lamar's. That's amazing. I think finding like a good donut place can make all the difference because you can obviously, I mean, Krispy Kreme has its place. Don't get me wrong. And you can eat too many of them. I've proven that. But in one sitting, um, but a good really good donut place mm. especially ones with maple bacon donuts you've never had a maple bacon donut danielle i've never had a crispy cream oh my god i feel like <laughs> i just have to keep reintroducing you into the world i just don't understand. i know i know i, I took her to, to, to sonic for the first time i was like yeah that was that was a new experience never huh. had sonic they've really yeah. good I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> okay, so you have done quite a few events. Um, you were at DragonCon. That's how we met you. Yep. Let's let's talk about events. Um, how did you get into doing those sort of things? Well, I actually used to be a professional cosplayer um, in my early 20s. And then I started making more money working for my sponsor at the time as a vendor. So I swapped over to doing that full time rather than pro cosplaying. And then... 
I was a convention vendor for long enough that like from then to now I've done public speaking the whole time. I used to do speeches and panel presentations about how to pose for photographs or, you know, 20 different ways to use a milk bottle um, for <laughs> cosplay. It, it's I was going to say, let's put that little, it's, a, <laughs> it's for cosplay and not for blowing up things. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then when I became a vendor, I did it once or twice at some conventions to, you know, fill space that they have extra space. So I'd apply, you know, knowing I'd be at that con. Um, when I started getting things published, when, when my writing started to pick up, I was like, great, I'll do it again. Um, and I started out talking about sensitivity reading, which is technically my quote unquote day job. Um, sensitivity reading is where you read other people's manuscripts for minority content and make sure that it's respectful and add depth and update outdated terminology and all that sort of stuff. I'm one of the oldest sensitivity readers in the business. Um, wow. I started about five years ago. And it's such a new profession that five years in it, it makes me a veteran. Um, no, and I, you know, we're a I do, I have a publishing company. I talk about it on the show and we have a lot of LGBT authors, um, own voice authors, that sort of thing. But whenever somebody who is um, not in that particular vein, doesn't identify in a group like that, we, we have our readers that are sensitivity readers just to make sure that whatever they're communicating is, is good and not offensive and generally it's not intention intentioned offensiveness it's unknowing offensiveness yeah you know? at the point that an author is seeking out a sensitivity reader they're already you know good at heart um the ones that really don't care won't get a sensitivity reader so what has that been like going into that because you know obviously somebody's looking for it and goes hey i want you to do this but do you still run into difficulty when you're trying to do corrections or things like that? There have been a couple of times where I was worried about how an author would react to the information that I was giving them. Um, there's a couple of authors where I did a sensitivity read and was like, I suggest that you make a change to this and maybe you could do this here. And they were like, it's fine. And I was like, okay, why did you pay me? But I mean, like I got paid, but okay. Like, <laughs> um, but for the most part, I haven't had too much difficulty. I've only had to turn down one sensitivity read. Um, I was terrified of one that this, this woman gave me a book and it started out very heavily Christian themed. And I was terrified to finish that book. I was like, I don't wanna know what the queer element in this story is, but it was actually this really beautiful story about a, like a Christian housewife um, who meets her daughter's gay best friend and completely changes her outlook on life and how she interprets her own faith. And I was like, okay, that's a really good book. And I was so afraid to start that one. I was so afraid that I'd have to be like, so this is bad. And it wasn't, it was awesome. Um, that's, the most very, part, awesome. Yeah. that's very cool. Um, when you, when you go to offer your services for that, um, is that something like you have your own website set up? How, how do you generally find work as a sensitivity? Um, mine is mostly through word of mouth. 
and the conference superstars writing seminar where I started as a sensitivity reader. Um, Kevin J. Anderson himself asked me to sensitivity read for him, and that was my very first one. Um, yeah, right. But no, I, that's awesome. That's yeah. I get a lot of traction through that and other conventions where I talk about being a sensitivity reader. Um, it is on my website, but my website is mostly focused on my writing. That's what I'm hoping to transition to full-time eventually. Um, sensitivity reading does make a very good turnaround on uh, monetarily, but writing's where my heart's at. That makes sense. So what about, um, what are your, so you have book one coming out. You've written book two. When is that intended to come out? That one's supposed to come out early 2024. Okay. So you want to do writing full-time. Yeah. You must go faster. I know. So what is your, <laughs> that's my new line. I feel like I really should Jeff go yep. back in the van and just get a meme of me going, must go faster. Must go faster. You need a because pillow or something. Especially if you want to, you know, do writing full-time, it is about quantity you know, quality, but quantity, because that's backlist, 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 backlist. For the most part, I can't stop the, like, I can't move up the release dates for these because it's traditional and traditional is a little sluggish. Um, I am working again, like I said, I'm always working on the next book. So as I'm writing the end of book two, I'm editing this other manuscript. And as soon as that's done, I'm going to query it. So I'm planning on and as soon as that one's out to query and that one's off to the publisher, I'm going to write the next book. Um, so I am planning on moving faster. I can get, I think, about four books done in a year. Um, so No, that would be brilliant. Yeah, that's what I'm aiming for. <sighs> and time. you don't have an exclusivity contract with your publisher, so they don't have to take the next one. You could go wherever you want with mm -hmm. the other series. Yep. Okay. My publisher is actually really awesome about that. John is of the belief that if you land a bigger publisher than Falstaff, it's good for Falstaff's bottom line because they'll go back and find your books that I've published with them. So he gets sales anyway if I get a better contract. John Harness, awesome. he's been on the show before. He is a friend of Drinking With Authors as well. And one thing is where he landed on his pu traditional publishing contracts because he was a published author before he started Falstaff Books. And um, we think very similarly in the publishing vein because he has a situation where he, I don't think if I recall correctly, so John, if you're listening, um, he cannot put out another full length book within six months of his um, publisher putting out a, a full length book, which they put out every six months. So he has to put out novellas because it doesn't say that that part of the contract, but he can't do the big books because it does say that in his contract. So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, I, we have an author, Mark Muncy, who had a contract with Bain, where right now they literally have still to this day, first right of refusal on everything that he writes, everything. They have first right of refusal. Yeah, I think that having Paul Sapp as my publisher um, actually sets me up for a lot better success with bigger houses as well, because I'm like, I already have a publisher. So if I get a literary agent, that's like, he can't, you know, he can't give you that for all of the books. Um, cause he's got a different publisher already. I feel like that gives me a little bit of a better negotiating spot. Um, 
It, it definitely can. You know, I would look for the mid-sized publishers though, because the big five, eh, you're going to find a totally different experience than you have with Falstaff, which is unfortunate, yeah. you know, with yeah. those. Okay. Um, Danielle, do you have questions? I realize I'm just talk, talk, talking. I'm sorry. No, that, that's okay. I was actually going to ask about the covers and um, did you have a lot of say in them I, or did you know did you go in with a concept or were they just like hey this is what we're thinking i went in with a concept like a really rough concept um and it was like a hand holding a crystal ball with the city in the crystal ball because it's city of day and it would be daytime in that one and then on the next cover the hand's in a different position but the orb is the city at nighttime or city of night you know i was like that would be really cool and they were like we like that but and I was like, okay, but what? And they were like, we want to just do a painted cover, a full painted wrap cover. And I was like, well, I'm not going to say no to that. Um, and so they've done the city. And as soon as it's painted during the daytime, it's going to be perfect. But right now it's still in the works. So. Okay, very, very cool. Well, at least they gave you a say. Yeah, they gave me the city. And that's what I wanted most. That was the focal point of the covers. So, and so let's talk about cosplay because mm -hmm. um, our friend here, Danielle, is an avid cosplayer. I'm a cosplayer as well. We didn't touch on cosplay yet, and not often do we have all cosplayers on the <laughs> on the show. All cosplayers, cosplayer here and there and everywhere. I mean, so what did you? But <laughs> what did you cosplay? Um, one of my most famous was I did Anastasia from the dream sequence and I won the most awards with that one. Um, I did a pinup female Captain America dress that was super cute, 50 style with like the corset top. Oh, it was so pretty. And then I did okay. uh, Kid Loki long before the Loki TV show came out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did Spider-Man. I did Cinderella. I mostly liked making big fancy dresses because those are the most fun. Um, I loved being Spider-Man. That one was a lot of fun, too. I think half of it spider Man's always fun. <laughs> well, I think anytime you can wear a cosplay where your entire face is covered, it, it makes a huge difference. Because we do yep. cosplay where sometimes our face isn't covered at all. And sometimes, um, did you do a cosplay? Did you choose? Because those are ones you absolutely wanted to do or how did you go about it? I mostly just made whatever I enjoyed, whatever I was a fan of. And I've always been a big Spider-Man fan. And um, the Kid Loki one was with another friend um, who did the Siege Loki with like the big horn helmet. That one was fun. Um, the Captain America was part of a gown interpretations of the Avengers set. So that one was a whole wow. bunch of us cool. did that and i just wore my captain america a lot more than they wore their gown <laughs> after that because mine was comfy and theirs were like full length and yeah, yeah. so i i love cause i have a i have a very good friend that i cosplay with and i love cosplay like she does the she did louis and i did lestat like not the new interpretation but the velvet with the gold mm. and um her daughter did uh, Claudia for us and her daughter was like six at the time which was brilliant because it was <laughs> the right size of the human 
in the thing. We do things like that. Like we did 13 ghosts and we met Matt Lillard. Like we do it sometimes to go meet the celebrities that are going to be at conventions and show up dressed like their characters, which I is- I got fun. a lot of celebrities just by being a guest at conventions. Like I- Oh yeah. So many of them. And like, I still keep in touch with some of them and it's a lot of fun. Danielle, what have been your favorites? Because I've seen a couple of the ones you've done, but what are your favorite ones? Um, I love doing Harley. I, I just have a good time whenever I'm Harley Quinn. You know, you I want to say the original game Harley Quinn and not the Suicide Squad, right? Yeah, no, I do. Um, I've done Batman the Animated Series and the full jester with the full hat. I've done that one uh, a couple times. And that one, I actually won an award with that one. Um, biggest awards I've won is when I've done the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. And uh, that one, I've won money with that one. And then, um, but I love being Harley. I do the game versions. I've done Arkham Knights, Arkham Asylum, uh, Harley and Gotham Knights. I've done those. And uh, I love, I love being Harley. But um, let's see, when I did comic, when I did New York Comic Con 2018, I did uh, Catwoman and I had a, uh, I had an artist actually just give me a bunch of prints because he was like, you look like the way I normally draw a Catwoman. He's like, so just here. And he signed it and just gave it to me. And he was like, there you go. That's awesome. And he's like, go have fun. And I'm like, done. And I walked away. The only one I, I have, the, I finished the costume and made it was Vampirella. I just still don't have the guts to wear it. I'm done, I finished it, it's, it's there. I just can't bring myself to wear it. I just like, I put it on and I'm like, maybe. And then I'm like, nah, nope, nope, nope. Can't do it, just. October one of those like you yeah. know just can't do you still cosplay um not so much mostly because it is a, a pretty big demand on time and um I recently was diagnosed with a chronic illness that sucks up energy a lot faster than I have it um so I have to be really really careful with my time no that makes sense that's unfortunate I'm sorry to hear that I'm, I'm mostly glad that I got answers because this has been a problem for like six years. So, you know, oh, that's that always good. is the good part. <laughs> that's always good. That's always good. Okay. Um, so what advice would you give authors out there? My best advice is try it. I think that's my best advice because all the time I'm sitting there and I'm like, what if I did this instead? And then I kind of get frozen because I'm like, should I go the way I wanted to or should I write that? Um, I got over that by trying. So if I'm like, what if I should do this instead? I will open another document and I'll write like I chose that instead. And I'll, you know, either it will work and that's what I want to do and I put it in the main document or I know now that that's not the way I want to go. So I can go back. Very, so, very cool. Very that's cool. good idea. My advice is to try it. And then if you hate it, double space, start again. <laughs> I love it. Okay, shameless self-promotion time. Where do people find you on social media in your books? All right, so um, you can find me online at octoberksantarelli.com. And I do have a books page on there where you can find all of the violence for all of my currently published works. I am also on TikTok at okwrites, W-R-I-T-E-S. Um, and I'm on Instagram at OKWrites, but it's O underscore K underscore rights. So Very yeah. cool. 
thank you so much for being on the show with us. It's been so amazing having you. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. Hello, Drinking With Authors fans. This is your host, Erica Lance. Because of the change of the format of the show, welcome to the Literary Briefs portion. Enjoy. Welcome to Drinking With Authors, the Literary Briefs edition. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is the fantastic Danielle Orsino. And our guest today is October Santanelli. Woo! Woo! Yeah. Woo! I, I, my producer stopped adding in the woo part because he's like, you're just too loud. Anyway, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking before we get on with rapid fire. I am um, finishing up the last of my grapefruit and vodka because I thought I had orange juice. So this is my solution to not being able to have a screwdriver. But I also have a little bit left of my beach plum there are not plums on beaches i don't know where they come up with this shit but it's beach plum lacroix so it's got a beach scene and a plum on the can hashtag weird marketing techniques and what's really funny is it has a bunch of sharks on it i can <laughs> with the plums whoever did this i feel like somebody was drunk the day they were like you know what we should do I've got Plum an idea. Let's, let's do let's do beach plums because they're they're nowhere near each other, and we'll have some yellow and pink sharks. Let's do it. They must have fun there. Okay, Danielle, what are you drinking? I, I'm still nursing my um, chai latte in my Lady Penelope cup. Lady Penelope. Um, Lady Penelope. October, what are you drinking? I just finished my lemonberry mule, so I am drinking water out of this gigantic water bottle. <laughs> Aren't what the, the hell best? is that I at the them. handle? Wait, go back. Go this back. Is, it's a pocket water bottle. So there's like a pocket right here for a card and this holds your cell phone and it's got a loop for your keys and it actually has a handle, like a like a purse strap kind of thing. So you All can, in one. Yeah, it's an all in one. And I think it's the coolest thing ever. That is, okay. that is a first. I've never seen anything like that before. I love that. It's amazing. Okay, so here we go. Rapid fire. What is your favorite book of all time? Magic Spawn by Mercedes Lackey. Why? Because that was a book that saved my life when I was young and came out as gay for the first time. That was one of the first books that I picked up with queer representation and one of the first ones that told me it was okay. Very cool. What is your least favorite book? Uh, I ask this of everybody so you can't get that look on your face like, how dare you? <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Um, probably... We all get to throw shade at other people on the show. Ender's Game. I think that was such an overrated sci-fi book. Really? So I read that book. I stayed up all night reading it. I mean, like, yeah, it's a good read. It's got good hooks. But at the same time, if you look at the world building and like the character growth, there is no character growth. Um, oh, no, 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 no. It's like, it's a popcorn book. It's one that you eat because you're there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's not That's a good way to put it. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, the whole series went in a weird direction to me. A lot of people love that series. I don't need hate mail. I liked Ender's Game. Like, I liked that book. So um, what about a uh, book to movie where, or TV show where you think they did a really good job with it? 
the series of unfortunate events that one was so good the tv series not the movie the movie was really bad i think that is the answer for both my favorite and least favorite um because i loved those books when i was growing up i'm a little bit of a schadenfreudist yeah no neil patrick harris kind of amazed he was great yeah that one was really good i also really liked the uh interpretation of his dark materials on hbo that one came out really good you know it was a really good one that i saw the other day um but i have i guess i can't say this i haven't read the book but i thought the show was brilliant it's nine perfect strangers and from what i understand it's very close to the book so now i want to read the book after watching nine perfect of course they cast it with like the most brilliant cast so that helps dramatically too but nine perfect strangers weird things okay danielle questions do you like audiobooks no i have auditory processing issues um i not your thing yeah i i have to read the book i have to see the words i have to have subtitles on on the television too like i can't process mm. sound without words as well it's a mild form of synesthesia like i subtitle everything already would you ever do audiobooks for your books or no? You just really I would love to have them available as audiobooks for okay. accessibility reasons, but I'm not gonna ever listen to them as audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's very fair. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Do you believe in um the paranormal? Yes. Do you believe in ghosts? Absolutely. Have you had a paranormal experience? Oh, plenty of them. Um I went to college. we need a fun one. Okay. I went to college at a university called Knox College in Galesburg, Illinois, and it is one of the oldest universities in the United States. Um, and there is like the old main building has stone steps where the stone has been worn away into a big dip, like it's a couple hundred years old. Um, and the offices of the art professors are in the jail, <laughs> the historic jail. And so I was there meeting with my art history professor about um, a print that I had to get permission signed out from the library to take because it was like a woodblock print from 400 million years ago. Um, and I'm walking down the steps on my way out of there when my cell phone starts going off and I don't recognize the number. So I'm like, hello. And then you hear, you've got a call from, hello, the Knox County Jail. And I was like, nope and I go upstairs holding this phone still on and I'm like professor professor and the moment he sees the number my phone dies from full charge wouldn't turn on again I was like you are walking me out of this building now and he was like I'm leaving with you <laughs> so yeah you don't want to take that home with you no no, no. <laughs> I love the look on Danny's face right now I don't even know what to do with that that's the start of a book Oh, that's your next book like holy cow no mm -mm, no mm -mm, no i'll mess that see you need to Sage send that, that story into me or any stories at my other podcast eerie travels we take listener tales exactly. you should send in some stories okay we love reading listener tales but um okay what about uh mm -hmm. what is a weird food combination that you like uh flaming hot cheetos and cream cheese it's so good back up what <laughs> do you dip it like what do you do Wait a minute. yeah you take the cheeto and you just kind of like scrape up a little bit of the cream cheese and the cream cheese you know you still get to taste all of the spice but the cream cheese also like dulls it down right away so that you can eat twice as many flaming hot cheetos in one sitting 
I learned on a documentary, what was I watching? I learned on a documentary that somebody, um, the Frito factory was not doing well. So they literally asked their employees for ideas and a janitor came up with like went to his house and made flaming hot cheetos and brought them in because there was no um uh, snack food for the latin community made by frito and they they gave him part of the profits from it he's like a bazillionaire now because he came up with the idea of flaming hot cheetos flaming hot cheetos are so good with or without cream cheese but they're better with cream cheese <laughs> danielle have you recovered from this yet between the ghost story and the flaming hot Cheetos, this is a lot for me. Okay, okay. I'll ask the like next was... question, let you reset. It's fine. If you could be any paranormal, mythical, fantastical creature, what would you be? I'd be a resident of Atlantis. Oh, why? Um, because I want to live in a society that's so advanced and so like ballsy that we challenged the gods and then ended up living in a bubble under the ocean. I think that'd be really cool. I like it. I like it. Okay. You recovered, my friend? Yes. Yes, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Oh, what was that? My dog found us. So my dog does squeaky the most toy. ridiculous one of my dogs. I have two now. He's a puppy. But he when he has a squeak toy, he rams his nose into the squeak toy. He doesn't pick it up and bite it and squeak it. He literally walks up and is like... Mm. <laughs> until it squeaks and so he was walking around and he has these little carrots that go to a toy but only a couple of them actually have squeakers so i just literally out of quarter of my eye watched him go rrr, 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 squeak and then walked <laughs> away from it like i have accomplished what i intend to do i'm done I'm walking away right garris thank you like, <laughs> i have a puppy too i get it animals are ridiculous yeah. and i love them okay, okay danielle sorry over to you that's okay. If okay, you're going to run into one of these three creatures and prove that they're real. Which one do you choose and why? Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, or an alien? Loch Ness monster. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm just I'm saying like, that was the correct answer to get your episode aired with Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you choose Nessie? I'm just wondering. I choose the Loch Ness monster mostly because of Scotland being awesome but second of all because when I was younger the water force movie came out and that movie yes. was so good and now I'm like Nessie is maybe an alien and also maybe an ancient dinosaur and nobody's ever found the, like she's got magic powers obviously so I want to be the one to find Nessie and be like hey <laughs> I, I love that. For the record, by the way, Danielle, I don't know if you're aware yes. of this, but I am actually a lady in both Scotland and Ireland now because a friend bought property for me in both places. So I'm I so literally have do that. the lady title. That's so cool. In both places. I'm I'm a lady in Scotland and a lady in um Ireland. Oh my God. I wanted to do that so badly. So if you go to Scotland. Then there's a better chance that Nessie's going to show up because now you're a lady, you're royalty. I I will go. Well, I'm going to Scotland and Ireland yes. later this year. I will see if I can go up, and I will see if I can entice Nessie to come not eat me. So that will be my goal. But I am going to go to both of these places that I have property. I'm bringing a flag and just like <laughs> boop, 
I have to take my flag with me. It's actually a really neat concept that they do is they do this to save um, parts of the forest and lands and stuff because what they do is they buy the property and then as you buy pieces, they register you as a landholder, even if it's like one of the plots is a foot. The other one is like yeah. 10 feet by 10 feet, but they can't develop the land because one acre could belong to a thousand people. Yep. So they're unable so cool. to develop in these areas, which is really, I think, a wonderful, very clever way to save, you know, parts of nature is to go, it's really cool. You have to get these 10,000 people to agree if you want this piece of land, which <laughs> would go never Go talk to happen. Lady Erica. Yes. My thing is going to be vetoing him, but he, he made me, we're flying over there and he went on my um, airline because he was helping me with my friend that did this and he changed it so that it says lady Eric, <laughs> my plane ticket so i love that's that fun. that's fun it's probably gonna be a weird conversation in customs but who cares let's that's do okay. this okay so so if you could travel anywhere where would you travel if you could just instantly choose to go somewhere where would you go i have a garden tour planned of europe so it like starts at the Chelsea Flower Show and then goes through a bunch of English gardens and then through um, Italian gardens and then through French gardens of various sorts. Like the French um, has a lavender field. I just want to go and see giant sweeping rows of lavender. And there's a restaurant that has two Michelin stars that is also a farm. And they literally pull the food off of the vine and cook it right there. Like it's 10 feet from where it was when they make it. And I'm like, I want to go there. I want to go and see the outdoor ballroom at Versailles. I want to go and see um, the castle gardens in Spain. All of those are supposed to be gorgeous. So I've got a garden for land of Europe and I just want to kind of wander around. I like it. I like it. Um, what was my next question? That was okay. Danielle, that was, that's some vodka joining me for a moment. That's fine. What author do you think has influenced you the most, whether it's style or, you know, um, just a writing period, whatever, you know, process? Are they another plotter or a pantser? What author has influenced you the most? Um, I write most similarly to Tad Williams, and I love the way that he, like, sets up settings. So he's one of the ones that I've tried to emulate, but the one that's had the most impact on my career and on me as a person is actually Mercedes Lackey, who um, who basically she took my book, the one that's coming out, City of Day, from outline to published, and has given me a cover blurb. And like, I I I would say she was a mentor figure. I don't know if she would also say she was a mentor figure. We emailed once every six months, but <laughs> hey, that counts. If you no, could have no. lunch with any author, living or dead, who would you choose? I would choose, oh gosh, this one's a hard one. I think I would choose Oscar Wilde. That would be interesting. Yeah, I wanna, I wanna meet not just Oscar Wilde, you know, wrote some really interesting books, but I wanna meet a gay author from a different time period. And like, I think that'd be really fascinating to sit down with him and be like, this is what it's like now. And have him be like, well, this is what it was like then. It would be a very interesting, very interesting tale. What do you think you're fantastic at as a writer? Like, what do you think you're, hands down, you're very proud of what you do? And this isn't ego, but like, what do you think you do really well? 
I think I do really well with setup, like first pages. Um, I think I'm getting even better at it every time too, but I, I really nail pulling a reader in. First sentences, first couple paragraphs, first 16 lines. I, I'm confident that I can get most people to turn the page. Very cool. What do you think you're not good at? I always thought I was really bad at character arcs. Like, I feel like I have to put a lot more work into getting a character from point A to point B. Um, apparently, other people think I'm good at it. So the struggle to get that arc written out works, I guess. Very cool. What about... Um... Uh, what is a genre that you haven't written in yet that you want to? Does video games count? <laughs> yeah. I want to write yeah. for video games. I think that'd be awesome. Very cool. I, yeah. I want to script a video game. I want to have an NPC quest line. Do you finish books when you start them regardless? Yes. 98% of the time. Okay. What, what will make you not? Um, usually if I set the book down for a couple of weeks, I just forget. Like if I've, if I set it down and I've forgotten where I was in it and I don't know what's happening anymore, I won't finish that book. I'll either restart it or not, but it goes back on the to be read shelf and I pick something else that catches my fancy for a little while. Okay. Um, what about reviews? Do you write reviews all the time? I do write reviews. Um, I most recently wrote a review for my friend F.T. Lukens, who just put out, well, it's not out yet. Um, I got the advanced reader copy of a book called Spellbound. It's an urban fantasy um, with queer main characters, and it was so good. So I just posted that one a couple days ago. Do you, will you post even if it's not a good review? Yes, I have posted negative or middling reviews before. Very cool. Do you try to reach out to the authors ever to go, hey, fun story about your book? Uh, no, I have not reached out to authors about that, like face to face. I let the ones that I do advanced reader copies for, I, I let them know that I left a review, but that's about it. Very cool. Are you a hard what? reviewer? I'm sorry, Erica. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, please am jump I, in. Am I tough on books? Are you tough on books or do you try to look at it as uh you know if you're just reading for fun it's like do you try to go okay well this was good this was good good this was good so it's a three-star review like do you I try do you and do, do a little bit of both like there's always something in a book that was okay or good so I will always be like well I liked this element but here's all the problems or I'll be like this was a fantastic book and these are the top three reasons why or I'll be like this book was kind of in the middle for me this was great this ruined it so okay Fair enough. Yeah, I try to be nice-ish. <laughs> Have you autographed books before? Yeah, it was terrible. What was that like when you first autographed a book? Um, it, it still freaks me out to this day. Like people bring up a book to me and I'm like, well, I didn't know. <laughs> Don't give it to me. I no, it's okay. Um, I, I have pens on me now all the time, just in case. I, I've signed my book in a bookstore before that was wild um because it was just on the it was one of those things where it was on the shelf at a Barnes and Noble but you have to like order my book so somebody ordered my book and then didn't pick it up and so I ended up on the shelf and I was like oh I can sign it um 
Did you I, um, put a little, do you have little phrases that you put in your books? Every now and again, I do. Um, for the book that I wrote with David Friend, the YA sci-fi, um, I usually put like have fun in space because the main character goes to outer space and then comes back. Um, and, you know, something like that. Or this I think they're or, important. I think as authors, you got to have mm -hmm. them in your back pocket. Because just yep. signing a book is not the same as throwing in a little, you know, tagline personalizing it a little bit but you should have set up taglines because you can't personalize a hundred different copies with a hundred different taglines yeah and I'm, I'm like I practiced my signature I did not practice taglines and I was not prepared to start putting them in there I think for this next book I'm going to work on that a little bit more I would come up with a couple yep. taglines maybe two or three and she especially if you're doing the series that you can throw in the book at any moment in time you could be like Here's my hashtags. There you go. So it's going to be exciting when you have that book in your hand. So the first time you got the book with David Brin in your hand, what was that like? It was so cool. Um, I grew up reading the Animorphs and the cover for um, Storm's Eye, which is the title of the book that I wrote with David Brin, um, looks like an Animorphs book. And it was so cool. Like, I was like, ooh, I made up this alien um, the perfect pachyderm is what I called it. It was a combination elephant, hippo, rhino. Um, and they put the alien on the cover. Um, oh. And it looked so, it looked just like I pictured it. I was like, this is so cool. Um, and like, I made up weird colors for this world and, and they put those weird colors in. And I was like, this is, this is what I wrote. And they literally brought it to life. And it was really neat. That's cool. That's very neat when that happens. I, I thousand percent agree. Okay, what's your favorite clothes to wear when you're writing? <laughs> Pajamas. <laughs> I have, I wear like a t-shirt and a sweater over that because I, again, I write in a basement. It's a little chilly down here all the time. So I always have a sweater. And then I it's wear a very bright basement. If you're in that basement right now, it is I very, am. no yeah. one would think you were in a basement. It is very brightly colored. Yeah it's a really nice basement it's just a little chilly um and I do have like a really big window in there like it's like it's like double wide window with a double wide deep bay oh it's lots in plenty of light um so it's not like I'm in a scary basement but yeah I wear sweatpants and I have a pair of fluffy unicorn slippers and I wear those every time I write I'm nice. a big fan of the pjs and the slippers I I feel like that is that is my comfort zone on on clothing. It's challenges <laughs> life though. I wear PJ pants all the time. My boyfriend makes fun of me because the amount of PJ pants, the amount of jeans I have, very different ratio. I have two <laughs> pairs of jeans, just two, and I have like a dozen pairs of pastel colored sweatpants. So. <laughs> I love that. I think that's brilliant. Okay. Um, what is my next question? Danielle, what is your next question? Is there a period that you'd like to write? Like, you know, do you want to take on the 20s or the 50s? Is there just a period that you haven't tackled that you think you'd like to write in? Yeah, I think I'd like to write the turn of the century, like 1890 to 19, like 1910 was such an interesting 20 years. I think that one would be really fun to write a story in. Um, I've written in the Italian Renaissance before mm -hmm. um, with my short story, Mio Cupo, and I wouldn't mind going back there because that's another one that I have a lot of fun in. So 
Do you go down a research super highway? Do you, do you over research? For historic stuff, yes, I definitely over researched the Leonardo da Vinci story. Like it was like a really short story, and I spent three days doing research. Um, and it was like <laughs> 500 words, like or 5,000 words. I was like, it's really tiny, and I spent a lot of time looking stuff up. It's very historically <laughs> accurate, actually. Um, <laughs> I took very few liberties, but uh, for the rest of my books, I typically don't do a whole lot of research because I write fantasy. Um, so I can make it up half the time if I have to. Every now and again, like I look up different words. That's mostly what I do. I'm what about um, world building? How are you keeping track of your world? Um, I have different notebooks and I've got like, I'll write down in the notebook. Each one has its own little section and I'll put like little pull tabs. I think I have the pull tabs right here. Oh, now I've got the sticky notes, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> But like I, I put these little pull tabs so that I can just flip to that area really quickly. And um, so I just mark it all down in a notebook and keep it there. There's one series that I have that I'm working on the outlines for that has its own entire notebook because it is a 12 book series. Wow, wow. Yeah. See, that's a series right there. This <laughs> trilogy that you're doing. Do you see I brought that back, Danielle? Um, yes, I like that. I like the cover. You like call the back. circle, bring it call back. back. Um, yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. is I like Off that. Um, <laughs> what about your favorite dessert? So Olive Garden used to have those tiramisu shots with the amaretto soaked lady fingers, and then they stopped carrying them. So I learned how to make it, and that is my favorite dessert. Well, there, it's not good when you learn how to make some of these desserts. It's terrible for me. The only thing that keeps me from making it all the time is the fact that making tiramisu is actually kind of difficult and amaretto is expensive. No, I trust me. <laughs> I my what I'm gonna get for my birthday because I watch way too much Great British Baking Show. I love that show. It is the most relaxing thing in the entire universe to me because British people are so nice to each other on that show. Like even mm -hmm. when they're in a bad spot, they're like so pleasant that like unlike a lot of american bacon shows are like this was terrible flip the thing where there they're like this is a bit stodgy <laughs> and <laughs> we got the english accent yeah <laughs> it's a bit stodgy let me get i had to look up what stodgy meant by the way because i didn't know what stodgy meant and i knew what a soggy bottom was but i didn't know what stodgy meant and um so i'm making macrons because i absolutely freaking love macrons they're terribly difficult, but this is my little birthday thing to myself. I'm gonna figure out how to make macrons. Um, I think everybody should learn how to make things. I learned how to make the um, Olive Garden Alfredo sauce, actually. That it has a ridiculous amount of cream cheese in it and people don't realize like that's the, that's the thing. But when you realize how much is in it, like when you're making it, your arteries are hardening. Like you can feel them hardening before you even put the Alfredo sauce in your face because it's a lot of that's a lot of cream cheese. I learned how to wow. bake a four-layer berry tart with handmade whipped cream from a Pride and Prejudice cookbook. That was fun. Wow. Ooh. And it's great. Wow. <laughs> it always it's like a showstopper. It's my show off cake. <laughs> You're like, Damn. I like you. Let me show you something. Yeah. But I only do it once. Yeah. Do you make desserts, Danielle? I, I've done cannolis and I do a good cheesecake that I have to make for my dad every holiday. Like, that's the only thing. He's like, oh, you coming over? You're bringing a cheesecake, right? That's all I do. After that, I got nothing. 
Now, I, I bought a mixer, so I could, I'm telling you, I, I will, I'm, I'm not serious. sure how this will end results. <laughs> I will keep the listeners updated on my Macron progress once I start making them because the, they're really hard to make without you. Um, yeah. Cause they gotta be chewy, but crispy. Do you see my little crispy gesture? Yeah, I like it. Yeah. have the right fillings. And I'm super, yep, yep. There's a joke. Yep. When we meet each other, I'll be like, let me tell you about how my Macrons have been going. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we'll know if they were good or bad. Yeah, I always see them <laughs> on the baking shows. They're always, like, you know. I always see them on the baking shows, the Macrons. Like that's always a challenge. Like yeah, a holiday bake they're off. Incredibly um, hard to make. Uh, Chelsea, our friend, made uh, was made, working on making them, but they crack like like cheesecakes. Like if you make cheesecake, the yes. the one thing you have to be so careful of is it cracking, which sounds yes. ridiculous for a cheesecake that a cheesecake could crack, but they'll crack. It'll make like a bubble yep. like this. Yeah, and that bubble will collapse in the moment you touch it. So it makes like the hard shell and it yep. looks perfect, but there has to be all this like webbing inside of the rest of the dough rising with it. Otherwise it breaks. And if you let it sit too long before you put it in the oven or you, you know, mix it for the wrong amount of time or whatever, it will do that. I got to open the oven and then I got to take damp um, <laughs> towels and lay them over the open oven. There you go. That's yep. a good way do to do that for last- the cheesecake. 15 minutes that's what I do for the cheesecake last 15 minutes turn the oven off and then you lay them over that's a good that's, okay that's my little trick that's all look I got at, look at us baking things and stuff <laughs> we're more than just authors we fucking bake shit so and cosplay you see we and we cosplay look at multi-talented humans on the gym <laughs> we drink and know things drink and know things okay um Danielle ask the final question Oh, oh, you're giving that to me after all the, after all the, the baking. Okay. I, I just brought up the macrons and I said it correctly. So macrons. Oh, that was very good. Uh, October, do you have one hidden talent that maybe nobody knows about that you'd now like to share with all of us since you've been drinking? Maybe we'll get it out of you. I am a watercolor artist, Oh, but I don't share my watercolors in. Would you, would you ever think though, maybe about putting it like on a chapter heading or something? I, I, Consider putting it on like bookmarks and selling some bookmarks, That's but cool. I haven't done that yet. Very cool. Look at multi, 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 multi talented humans here. I appreciate that. Okay, shameless self promotion time, October. Tell people about books and where to find you. Awesome. I'm October K. Santorelli, and you can find me online at octoberksantorelli.com, where I have a catalog for all of my current published works. You can also find me on TikTok at OKWrite, okay, W-R-I-T-E-S. And you can find me on Instagram at O underscore K underscore writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. Very, very cool. It was Yay. so amazing having you on the show. Thanks for having me. This was fun. This Absolutely. rapid fire was not as scary as I thought it would be. It's not <laughs> scary. And honestly, I I don't do a good job of remembering what I'm saying most of the time. So it does help the whole rapid fire thing that Bill Foss said, I always say this, was the one that was like, go faster, go faster. And I was like, I'm drunk, I don't know, he was sober. And I'm like, I don't know what eh, words. So it was bad. But other than that, I think it's most mostly harmless, mostly harmless. 
So guys, this has been Drinking with Authors, the Literary Briefs Edition. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the fantastic Danielle Orsino. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, leave comments. We love it all. And we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.